will you please stand with me and in all proper sobriety as we open the word of God this way, this day. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank thee for thy written revelation that you inspired, then preserved, then brought to us, and helped us interpret it. And we are about to share the truth that you have shown us, that we all in this room might be on the same page when it comes to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Bless us by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word. Sanctify us by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We may call it the man of sin chapter because it deals with the man of sin. It's a chapter with many facts against modern heresies and what are believed today commonly among conservative Christians. Liberal Christians don't care about the Bible at all. Conservative Christians at least give it lip service, but they do not understand this chapter. This is a map of the Mediterranean area. Jerusalem is far off the map to the bottom. This is the Aegean Sea, and the Apostle Paul came up through Asia Minor, through Ephesus, Troas, came over to Philippi, then to Thessalonica, then to Berea, and then on down to Athens and Corinth. Here's the Ionian Sea. The Mediterranean Sea is the big body of water south of all this. Here's the boot of Italy. And if we go farther up into the Adriatic Sea, we will come to Croatia, where we have Ante and Kate and Joseph and Magdala, who will come to visit us in a few months. But here's Thessalonica. So there are eight chapters written to the Thessalonians by Paul, five in the first epistle, three in the second epistle. All five chapters of the first epistle mentioned the return of Jesus Christ. It was emphasized more to them than anyone else. Here we go on the first verse of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So you can see that the second coming is under consideration in our gathering together unto him. Paul wrote two epistles to this church in Macedonia. I want you to remember that when you read the word Macedonia, it's an area. It's the northern half of Greece, and Achaia is the southern half of Greece. And you run into those words in your Bible, and that's what they stand for. The Greek army in the beginning was called the Macedonians because it was primarily made up of cities in the northern part of Greece, Philippi is named after Philip Alexander the Great's father, but it's Macedonia and Achaia. Paul wrote two epistles to this church in Macedonia, northern Greece, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. As I mentioned, his first epistle mentions Jesus' second coming in all five of the chapters. And the first chapter in this second epistle gave us detailed events of the second coming, which you were to read last night in preparation for today's worship. You read about Jesus being revealed from heaven. That means you'll be able to see him with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on his enemies. And at the same time, he will come to be admired by all them that believe. And we'll be admiring him in that day while he destroys the world. The word beseech 
equals beg. So Paul is begging this church to make sure they are straight on the events that are coming, lest they be confused and fearful. The next big event was the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul did not want them confused because they were, as we'll read in the next verse. He wanted their attention for important, secret facts he would give them. He had given them some in person, and he's going to refer to them in this chapter, but not write them because it would have been the death knell for that church if he'd have put certain things in writing. Jesus will come once more. Jesus is going to come once more. There is no such thing as a tribulation. It's not taught in the Bible. The tribulation occurred in 70 AD, and and another tribulation has occurred during the 1260 years that the popes of Rome ruled Europe. And there's no earthly millennium, so there's only one coming. Futurists get three comings. There's a coming called the rapture. Seven years later, he comes again for the battle of Armageddon. Then at the end of the millennium, the wicked rise up, and he comes again in, in judgment on them. So there's all these different comings. None of that's taught in the Bible. Facts and heresies. Out of verse 1, there is only one coming left. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. A rapture with the wicked left on earth is false. It is not taught in the Bible. When Jesus comes for us, he's going to destroy the wicked. There's one coming left. I just want to keep emphasizing that. The gospel is much simpler than men have made it. For those of you that have ever seen their charts that try to outline what's to happen in the future with the missing week of Daniel, it's incredibly confusing because they don't know what they're talking about. And There's no two men alive that have agreed on what's coming next because it's outside of the Bible. You can't refer to, thus saith the Lord. Verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. The Thessalonians were shaken in mind or be troubled. Neither by one problem was a spirit. One problem was false teachers. And one problem was a forged epistle. That ye be not soon. There's no reason for it to happen now, Thessalonians. Jesus isn't coming for a long time that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by a spirit or by false teachers with their verbal words nor by a forged epistle as from us. Putting Paul's name to it as that the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is at hand is our gathering together unto him is the second coming and it's not imminent. So relax, Thessalonians, don't be troubled. They were worried about his return. Should they work? If you go to the next chapter, the next chapter is given to the fact that they wandered about from house to house, not working. And if you thought the Lord was coming at any time, would you care much about your job? No. Unrealistic expectations like 1844 in America, when the Seventh-day Adventists said that Jesus was coming in March, then when he didn't, they said he was coming in October, and he didn't. It wrecked the faith of many. It's called the Great Disappointment in American Religious History. Three sources of lies. A false spirit. Don't believe everyone that says the spirit told me. We want the Bible telling us. Where'd the spirit put everything he's going to tell us? In the Bible and writing. It's more sure than hearing God's voice from heaven. And a forged epistle. Three sources of lies. Look at this poor church. This is in the days of the apostles. In the days of the apostles... 
there were false doctrines and lies being perpetrated by another spirit, by false teachers, and by forged epistles. Jesus had warned of such liars and lies about him in 70 AD in Matthew 24 when he said, Many will say, In my name, I am the Christ. Don't go after them. Remember, I've told you everything and how it's going to happen. Paul comforted the Thessalonians that Christ's return was not imminent. That word imminent means soon to happen, quickly to come to pass, so they could relax. Now, preterism... Preterism is a school of prophetic interpretation, and there are three main interpretations. Preterism says that all the prophecies in the Bible were fulfilled in 70 AD. All of them. All of them. We are in the new heaven and the new earth because it's spiritual. The devil has been consigned to the lake of fire for eternity. We are in the millennium. Just on and on it goes. The judgment's taken place. The resurrection has taken place. Everything. When I say everything, this time, I mean everything. That's preterism. Futurism, they take most prophecies and run it way out into the future. And that's what most of us were once taught. Historicism is that Bible prophecy has been fulfilled through history and is being fulfilled. But preterism is wrong by these words right here. We lost a family a few years ago that fell victim, fell prey to the lie of preterism. We do believe that Matthew 24 and places like it are talking about 70 AD, but we also know there is still a visible bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ, a resurrection of the dead, both wicked and righteous, a great day of judgment, the devil being cast into the, in the lake of fire, so forth. We believe those things because they're presented in the Bible as being yet future. Facts and heresies. Christ's second coming was not about to occur. The devil and religious men will lie any way they can. What are the three ways they lied in 2 Thessalonians? Spirit, false teachers by their preached word, and forged epistle. Truth brings peace. Truth brings peace. Lies can produce confusing fear. So the more truth we have, the more peaceful we'll live. The Bible is the response to all lies. We heard that one today in the back room before we prayed to open this day of worship by our brother David. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, I don't care if an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel than that which I've preached unto you. I don't care if I preach it unto you. Let him be accursed. The Bible is our response to all lies. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. We've just had three means shown to us. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, there's only one day under consideration, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ's return, what's called the second coming, and our gathering together unto him and the burning up of the wicked. For that day, the day of first chapter, the day of second chapter, shall not come. That day shall not come. Come, except some stuff has to happen first. And Paul is going to teach us truth. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There has to be an apostasy away from the truth, and a wicked man come into power before Jesus Christ can come back. Paul had listed the three means Right here, let no man deceive you by any means. When the Bible says something like that, will there be a tendency to have lots of lies on that subject? 
Is that obvious to you? So we want to be on the lookout for lies about 2 Thessalonians 2. Do you trust the Bible? Efforts have been made to confuse Jesus' return. Did Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy say that the resurrection was already passed and overthrew the faith of some? Because if we don't have hope of a resurrection, we are of all men most miserable. The futurists have three returns. The preterists say that Jesus' return is 1,948 years past. We are not surprised with Left Behind movie series, Schofield Bible, Hal Lindsey, Clarence Larkin, and others, Jack Van Empey, and so forth. We're not surprised because Paul warned us. We need to be alert about any error about the timing and the events of his return because Paul specifically is identifying them when he said there's going to be lots of lies on this matter. With this warning, we should know that popular schemes are wrong. We're working this verse over a little tighter. Notice, I just underlined, let no man deceive you by any means. And there's lots of deception here. Now it's for that day shall not come except. Jesus could not return until several certain events had occurred first. You are about to see how stubborn men can be to hold to their agenda instead of the Bible. Paul warned, many men and means will be used to deceive you. Paul warned, there is a specific order of events. Notice the word first, before Jesus returns. Several events described here and described elsewhere in the Bible, like Daniel 7 and Revelation 12 and 13 and 17 and 18, had to come first. You are bound to thank God for knowing the truth of the next two slides. Because this chapter is going to tell us we are bound to give thanks always to God for saving us from these lies. Except there come a falling away first. Falling away equals apostasy, equals turning from the truth to lies. Though they were the apostles, and though the Holy Spirit had guided them into all truth, John 16, 13, and though they wrote that truth down in the Gospels and their epistles, men immediately went astray. Before Jesus could come, Christians would leave apostolic doctrine. The Holy Spirit clearly identified the Roman Catholic Church in this passage. When he wrote, Paul wrote to Timothy, The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, forbidding to marry, that's the Roman Catholic lie of celibacy, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, That's the Roman Catholic fetish about fish instead of eating meat. When I grew up in the public schools, every Friday you knew what was going to be on the lunch tray. Right, Bernie? Fish sticks. Every Friday. And it wasn't to save money. And it wasn't to make us sick. It was because of the influence of Catholicism. Now, both of us are from the north. Maybe in the south it wasn't quite so bad. But um, that's all in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And before I hasten on, I want to tell you that in 1 Timothy 4, 6, for me to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, I am supposed to preach against the church of Rome. 
celibacy that I just mentioned, Lent and no meat, or no meat by their rules, and meat fasting on Friday are lies and departures from the faith. There come a falling away first. Truth was corrupted quickly and grew into many abominations. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. The word of God was being corrupted in Paul's time, and that point is very important. Many foolish men think that the older a manuscript is, by dating, is the best. Why in the world do they think that? Give us manuscripts that have been held and preserved by the churches, not something that is old in the Pope's library. Because there was corruption of the Bible while the Apostle Paul was still living. Pope's infant baptism, seven sacraments, the use of Latin, Halloween, relics, all that comes from Rome and this falling away that took place when they departed from apostolic doctrine. Apostolic doctrine means what the apostles taught how we ought to worship God. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there has to come a falling away first, and then, second, the man of sin has to be revealed, the son of perdition. For the sake of this short sermon, we hope and trust, we're going to call him the Antichrist from time to time. The Antichrist. There were Antichrists already at work, according to 1st and 2nd John, but there was an Antichrist coming. There would be a succession of men in one office. Man of sin equals the popes of Rome. It's been preached before. We have many other documents about it. This is what our fathers believed. This is what the martyrs believed. The man of sin is not some head of the United Nations. It's not Benito Mussolini. It's not Adolf Hitler. It's not Ronald Reagan. It's not Henry Kissinger. It's not Joseph Stalin. It's not anyone like that. It's the popes of Rome. (coughs) He is called the son of perdition, just like Judas Iscariot was called the son of perdition, where we will get to that verse next week. Son of perdition, a man to be destroyed. And Judas was destroyed and the popes will be destroyed. But to call the popes the son of perdition is to say they are like Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot took the name of Jesus Christ, pretended to be a preacher and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and was an imposter. The Pope of Rome claims to be the successive apostle from Peter. He is the son of perdition, along with being a man given over to all kinds of sins. The Bishop of Rome became overlord of Europe around 610 A.D. Daniel 7 details how Rome fell to ten kings for a little horn to rule Europe. There were ten kings that ruled nations, but those kings had to come to the Pope to have him confirm their authority in their own nation because he ruled Europe. Revelation chapter 17 tells us that God will put in their hearts to fulfill his will by giving their kingdoms to the beast. The Pope didn't personally kill any Christian. He had the civil arm do it because they had all agreed to do whatever he said for them to do. The man of sin has been here a long time and all our fathers knew it. Do you understand that? The Popes have been here for 1,500 years. 
Deceived men today imagine some United Nations leader as Antichrist. How would he be like Judas Iscariot? We need somebody that's a Christian, claims to be a Christian. Major difference number one, the order of future events. That day shall not come except. Major difference number one that we have with others about 2 Thessalonians 2 is the order of future events. Jesus could not come again until certain events took place first. And here's Paul's order. Falling away is first, then Antichrist revealed, then Jesus can return. Their order, like the world's most unusual university in our city, Jesus returns in something that they've made up called the rapture. Then there's a falling away. Then the Antichrist is revealed. And isn't that nice? We'll never have to deal with the Antichrist because we're going to be raptured out of this place before he comes. How sweet and how neat and convenient and cool, but it's nowhere found in the Bible. In the timing, Paul warned about, now Paul is writing about timing. In the timing Paul warned about, they turned his order upside down. Paul has Jesus coming last of these three events. They have Jesus coming first. They deny any antichrist or tribulation for Christians. Thank the martyrs. Who killed the martyrs? Someone in the Bible is described as being drunk with the blood of the saints. Paul's order is this. Falling away, that is an apostasy, antichrist revealed, and then Jesus coming again. Their order is Jesus returns, then a falling away, then antichrist revealed. Someone is right, someone is wrong. We go with Paul, we go with the Bible. Major difference number two, who is the man of sin? And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now I've already told you who he was, and there's many sermons that have been preached to prove it, and many books written to prove it, and I've just said it so far, and so we're just going to assume that for the sake of this one sermon on 2 Thessalonians 2. Major difference number two, who is the man of sin? The man of sin, 2 Thessalonians 2 terminology, Daniel 7 terminology is little horn, or the Antichrist, John's terminology from 1 and 2 John, the word Antichrist is not used anywhere else in the Bible, had to come before Jesus could return. So there has to be this phenomenon on earth of a man that's the enemy of Christ. The man of sin equals Antichrist, equals son of perdition, equals Judas Iscariot, equals the Pope of Rome. Of course, it's not Judas, but they're like Judas. The Bishop of Rome became head of the Western Empire around 610. Daniel described this change in detail as the little horn of Rome in Daniel 7, which we have a detailed outline on our website for you. The man of sin has been here a long time, and all our fathers knew it well who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Major difference number two, who is the man of sin? We're still proving it. The Pope opposes God in his Son Jesus Christ, in his word, the Bible, and in his ministers seeking to preach the truth. He exalts himself in worship, he exalts himself in rule above any rulers God's put on this earth. The kings of the earth had to come to him to get to be crowned. The Bible calls kings of the earth 
gods because they're the closest ones on earth to God. That is Exodus chapter 21. That is Psalm 82. God calls kings gods because of their authority and power of life or death. He sits in the temple of God. Now, this word just messes some people up, but it's not going to mess us up because we've read the Bible. They haven't. All they can think about is a Jewish temple because they're Zionists. They're Zionists at heart. They're Zionists, Zionists, Zionists. They think that there is something special about that barren piece of sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And there isn't. God has forsaken that place, and he has built the kingdom of David, the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ, out of Gentiles, according to Acts 15. The temple of God is a so-called church of Christ. He sits in the temple of God as if he were God. He changes any Bible doctrine or rule whenever he chooses to do so. He speaks great blasphemies and demands total allegiance for salvation. These are things that have been taught over the last 1,500 years and affirmed by the Catholic Church. Of course, today, losing losing members so fast, they're hemorrhaging, they are altering their ways like every whore does. Proverbs chapter 5 says that a whore will alter her ways, and so is the Roman Catholic Church. Let's go to church. Now, I've done this with some of you before. Do you want to see how big a person is? That's how big a person is. We are standing in St. Peter's Square of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Now, we have quite a distance to cover to walk up to this thing, then get around it and go toward church there in the background. Let's go toward the temple of God. So here we are right near that obelisk. We have one in Washington, D.C., That's a phallic symbol. And we go on toward the church. That's St. Peter's Basilica. Mark and Esther have been there. Anyone else in this room been to this place? Austin's been there. Let's go in the front door. Now the front doors are huge, but I'm not, this is not a slideshow of pictures. We have ground to cover, but I want you to see the temple of God as it's called in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, you've come in the front door, and this is a three-foot curtain here. There's a full-grown man. It's kind of big. And way down there, you can see a canopy with serpentine columns supporting it, and under that canopy is the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church. Let's get up closer to it. Now you can see it, how small these people are, compared to that canopy of serpentine columns over the high altar of the Catholic Church. You've got to ascend up to that thing by steps. Now, are you surprised that they use serpentine columns? I'm not surprised, because verse 9 of this chapter is going to say, after the working of Satan. He's called a serpent from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. So serpentine fits. Now, you are at the point in the form of a cross where the two lines meet. You're there in the center where that high altar and that canopy is, and we can go much further toward the shorter end of the T. Incredible. 
Jesus was born in a stable and laid in a manger. We are standing at the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church, looking past the serpentine columns now toward what's at the other end. And so we proceed. Can you see how large everything is by comparing it to those people? Now we've gone past the high altar, and here is a pretty large area. This is a chair that is six feet tall. Are you with me? That is a chair that is six feet tall against that wall down there. This is a sunburst with a dove coming out of it to represent the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see anything else that's interesting? I see a chair. Do you see the chair? Can you see it? It's right here with cherubim over the top of it. That is St. Peter's chair. Do you see six feet? Could LeBron James dunk on that chair? He'd have to dunk three times if you can tell by the height. See the chair? You couldn't even see it. That's a six-foot chair. That top is way over a man's head sitting in that chair. Here's another altar. And we're at the base of that monstrosity at the end of St. Peter's Basilica. And there you can now see the fish hats of Dagon on these popes and cardinals. And there is St. Peter's chair. What did St. Peter say when he met the Lord Jesus Christ? Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. What city did St. Peter die in, as far as we know, by what he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3? The city of Babylon, 600 miles to the east. Here's a pope sitting on a throne. Here's Pope Benedict XVI, gold, scarlet, and purple. All you've got to do is read Revelation 17, gold, scarlet, and purple. Pope Benedict with a fish hat, the 16th, the one before Pope Frank. Pope Benedict with the tiara. The Bible says that the little horn of Rome will grow up and rip up three other horns and possess their little mini kingdoms after Rome falls. They say that the Pope rules in heaven, earth, and hell. For much more, you can go here. Don't give up, kids. We still have some ground to cover, like a lot. <laughs> Treatise on Antichrist. What did the Waldensians say about the Antichrist in 1120? According to the apostle, we may truly say this is that man of sin, complete, that lifts up himself against all that is called God or worshipped, and that setteth himself in opposition against all truth, sitting down in the temple of God, that is, in his church, and showing forth himself as if he were God, being come with all manner of deceivableness for those that perish. And since he is truly come, he must no longer be looked for, for he has grown old already by God's permission. Now that was written in 1120. They did not mind dying at the hands of Rome, because they knew they were fulfilling scripture. That is 1120. You say, what about something sooner, okay? How about 1380 and John Wycliffe, the first man to translate the Bible into English? Not to print it like Tyndale, but to translate it. John Wycliffe, 
Why is it necessary in unbelief to look for another Antichrist? Hence, in Daniel, Antichrist is forcefully described by a horn arising in the time of the fourth kingdom. They knew Daniel 7. John Kelvin. Some persons think us too severe and censorious when we call the Roman pontiff Antichrist. But those who are of this opinion do not consider that they bring the same charge of presumption against Paul himself. I shall briefly show that Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians 2 are not capable of any other interpretation than that which applies them to the papacy. I love dogmatic men. The Philadelphia Confession of Faith, Baptist, 1742 America, in dealing with the church says, nor, about the head of the church, nor can the Pope of Rome, in any sense, be the head of the church, but is, according to the passage that we're looking at right now, that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition, that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Leroy Froome. I have his four-volume set, The Gift of a Seventh-day Adventist, who knew that we stood on the ancient position of prophetic interpretation. This man has documented what men have believed about the main prophecy items of the Bible more than anyone else I know. Tables and charts and detailed quotes of every historical figure that's known in the church and where they held on the little horn of Daniel 7, the little horn of Daniel 8, the 70 weeks of the, the works. What does he say? In the middle of this work, as he gets toward modern times, he wrote, after documenting his proof, the futurist view. Everyone we're going to quiz against. Everyone you go to school with. The futurist view of an individual Jewish antichrist was unknown among the Protestants of North America prior to the 19th century. Not until the 1800s had anybody ever thought of it. Cotton Mather, a Puritan preacher in America. This is Pope Frank Grinning. The oracles of God foretold the rising of an antichrist in the Christian church. And in the Pope of Rome, all the characteristics of that antichrist are so marvelously answered that if any who read the scriptures do not see it, there is a marvelous blindness upon them. And does it say that in 2 Thessalonians 2? He shall send them strong delusion. Charles Spurgeon, just 150 years ago. It is the bounden duty. I wonder where he got that from. Do you think it's from 2 Thessalonians 2.13? But we are bound to give thanks always. It is the bounden duty of every Christian to pray against Antichrist. And as to what Antichrist is, no sane man ought to raise a question. If it be not the Popery in the Church of Rome, there is nothing in the world that can be called by that name. Major difference number three, what is the restrainer? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he may be revealed, that he might be revealed in his time. Let me read that distinctly. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. This he is Antichrist. But something, someone, is in his way. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, even the time of the apostles, just like John said. Only he who now letteth, and this is the old use of that English word, of restraining, hindering. He who now restraineth will restrain 
until he be taken out of the way. You can understand what the word means just by looking at until he be taken out of the way. He's got to be removed in order for someone to come in, which means he's being restrained or hindered by the one that's already in that needs to be taken out of the way. Major difference number three, what is the restrainer? Paul said Antichrist could not come until a restrainer was out of the way. The restrainer was Rome's emperor, the Caesars of Rome, who had supreme rule of the world. Remember, in the days of Caesar Augustus, a decree went forth that all the world should be taxed. The bishop of Rome could not become ruler of Europe until Rome fell, and Rome fell in 476 A.D. Many falsely claim the Holy Spirit is removed. They say that the restraining power is the Holy Spirit that is raptured out with the church. I want to know how the 144,000 convert anyone without the Holy Spirit. It's a joke. They have bastardized the Bible. You can look that up too. The emperors of Rome are, were jealous for their office. They weren't going to let some preacher in pajamas that didn't believe in women into their office. Yes. The Caesars had to be taken out of the way before the popes could take authority in Italy. Tertullian, about 200. What is the restraining power? Now all i got to do is read Daniel 7 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 12, 13, 17, and 18. You do not need history. He didn't have history. He just had the word of God. What is the restraining power? What but the Roman state? The breaking up of which, by being scattered into ten kingdoms, shall introduce Antichrist. He obviously knows Daniel chapter 7. Cyril of Jerusalem, about 300. The predicted Antichrist will come when the times of the Roman Empire shall be fulfilled. In 300, he was still 176 years away from it happening. Ten kings of the Romans shall arise together. That means a broken empire, and there being ten small states of Europe. Among these, the eleventh is Antichrist, who by magical and wicked artifices shall seize the Roman power. Beautiful. Jerome, 400. He, Paul, shows that, the which, that that which restrains is the Roman Empire. For unless it shall have been destroyed and taken out of the midst, according to the prophet Daniel, Antichrist will not come before that. Let us therefore say what all ecclesiastical writers have delivered to us, that when the Roman Empire is destroyed, ten kings will divide the Roman world among themselves, and then will be revealed the man of sin. Hello! They knew! That's why Revelation was written. For men that were going to have to live through it and die through it. You can go down the street and buy and sell and get gain without any regard to the Roman Catholic Church. They were chased out, martyred, hung, racked, drowned in the, in the, in the rivers, their bellies ripped open, corn put in, and pigs let loose to eat the corn out of their bellies along with all their innards. We have books in our library. Terrible atrocities done. But they could go and do it joyfully, knowing that they were fulfilling Scripture. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on 2 Thessalonians 2, To anyone acquainted with the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, nothing can be more manifest than the correspondence of the facts and history respecting the rise of the papacy and the statement of the Apostle Paul here. In all history, there cannot, probably, be found a series of events corresponding more accurately with a prophetic statement than this. And there is every evidence, therefore, that these are the events to which the spirit of inspiration referred. 
There is no other prophecy in the Bible that you have to rely on history to fulfill, to see its fulfillment, as detailed and specific and as fulfilled as this one. Encyclopedia Britannica says that the power which was universally believed by the Christians to be that which was retarding, restraining or hindering, slowing, that's what retardation is about, the revelation of the Antichrist was the Roman Empire. Paul's order is this, falling away, restrainer removed, Antichrist revealed, Jesus' second coming. Their order, Jesus returns, restrainer removed, falling away, Antichrist revealed. Major difference number four. How many does your pastor have? 20. Thank you for the 200. I'll work harder tomorrow. <laughs> Major difference number four. Is God the author of confusion? There are children sitting in this church right now that have memorized 2 Thessalonians 2 this past week. Abigail, how old are you? There was joint devotions last night with several families. When it came time to read the passage, she's not even a quizzer because she's too young. She stood and delivered. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 1, word for word. You make sure you come and see me afterwards. Ask your parents if the dentist approves. <laughs> Children, I love you. Amen. I want you to know the truth. Amen. You see the guy in the pajamas with the gold, the fish hat on top, looked like the open mouth of a fish? Major difference number four, what we believe and what they don't believe. Is God the author of confusion? And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Major difference number four is God the author of confusion. Paul said God would send strong delusion to cause many to believe a lie. We believe it. God confused men at Babel. He used parables to hide the truth from Israel. This blindness helped the apostasy and caused men to follow the Roman Catholic Church. Until you have tried to convert a Catholic, you cannot appreciate this. I know if there is anyone in here that has diligently tried to convert a Catholic, you know 2 Thessalonians 2 is true. That, they, that God has sent strong delusion for them to believe a lie. Their religion is insane. It is so obvious, even to a natural man, but they can't see it. This is exactly opposite the fable that God wants all men to believe truth. If he wants all men to believe truth, why is he sending them strong delusion to believe a lie? Major difference. Children, do you understand this? Quizzers, our God is the author of confusion. He confounded the earth's population at Babel, and he confounded his own people not to recognize him by teaching them in parables. He said to his apostles when they questioned him about it and said, you shouldn't be talking to them in parables. They don't know what you're talking about. He said, it is not for them to understand. It is for you. Now step aside and I'll explain it to you. And he has stepped aside and explained it to us. Amen. Major difference number five, does God elect to salvation? Verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. I would say that God does elect to salvation. Since Paul said, God hath from the beginning 
chosen us to salvation through sanctification of spirit and belief of the truth. Major difference number five, does God elect to salvation? Paul was bound to thank God for the belief of truth by the Thessalonians. Paul was bound. We're bound. Look at this bounding. We're bound to thank God. We could so easily be Roman Catholics. There's 1.2 billion of them. How many billions are there of us? We could easily be them. Paul was bound to thank God for the belief of truth by the Thessalonians. God elected them before the beginning to be saved and believe the truth. God loved them. Where does it say that? Beloved of the Lord. God loved them and chose them to be saved from Catholic superstition. God's election caused the Spirit to regenerate them to believe the truth. Here it's called sanctification of the Spirit. What does sanctification of the Spirit mean? To be made holy and fit for the use of God. To wash and cleanse. And so it's called the washing of regeneration by the Holy Ghost in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. God chose eternal phase. God regenerated vital phase. Paul preached practical phase and they were saved from the errors coming. Differences so far. Quizzers, they have the wrong order of events. We have it from Paul. We know who the Antichrist is. He's been here for a long time. We know what the restrainer was. He's been gone for a long time. That's for sure. They can't figure out anything over there on that boot. God is the author of confusion, and God does elect to salvation. So we're a quarter of the way through it. We're not going to, we'll, we'll make up for it in some way. Now, there are truly no minor differences in the Bible, and I want to make that very clear. But for this study, we will call some differences minor differences because these five are huge by the emphasis in this chapter. Right. Okay? By the emphasis in this chapter, I am making the distinction. Minor difference number one Satan deceives by all means. I think we've been over that well enough already. Let no man deceive you by any means. And we have means number one right here, a false spirit. Another means right here by preaching of false teachers. And then even forged epistles or Bible versions that have books our Bible does not have. How many books does a Catholic Bible have? About 75. Minor difference number one, Satan deceives by all means another spirit. There were false teachers and even a forged epistle, yet most Christians today are totally deceived about these future events, and they don't pay attention to what they believe about prophecy like they should. Minor difference number two, Paul rejected preterism. We've been over that already. Preterism is false by his very clear statement, Jesus Christ cannot return until we have a great apostasy, the Antichrist is revealed. And the Antichrist, the man of sin, is pulled from Daniel 7, and there he's given a duration of 1,260 years. So the second coming of Jesus Christ was at least 1,260 years off from when Paul wrote in 50 A.D. And you all know that. You know that it was 1,260 years, even if you can't pinpoint the starting event and the finishing event. It doesn't even really matter if you can't pinpoint it, because you know that the Dark Ages of Europe were about 1,260 years long. Right. Minor difference number two. Minor difference number three. Oh, I'm going to skip it. It's C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield corrupts 2 Thessalonians 2. You know he has to. I've got his quote here. He, he was a lawyer. He knows how to play with words. 
He changed this thing around so much. Look at what he said. The theme of 2 Thessalonians is, unfortunately, I hope that we never say something unfortunate about the Bible, obscured by a mistranslation in, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why do you want to sell your notes alongside a King James Version? C.I. Schofield, this, for my blood pressure, we'll go to this one. <laughs> Number four, but you're welcome to look it up, and I have the new Schofield Reference Bible for you if you need it, and it is online. Minor difference number four, about a falling away. Most people don't know or care because they've jammed this all into the future, so they don't think there might be some abominations of Rome that have infected their church. We are always on the lookout. Gabriel? Is he here? Gabriel, do you remember when you found an abomination in this church? Where is it? Yes, it is. Is it over the drinking fountain? You're a man. It bothers him that that plate that we have from the First Baptist Church of Georgetown has a cross on it. He came to me and he said, Pastor, there's an abomination in here. You see my wife afterwards, but check with your father first. True story. He is so serious. That young man's as serious as a heart attack. And he had a real chat with me about our abomination. Falling away. Falling away from apostolic truth came while the apostles lived. Yet most conservative Christians revere the apostolic church fathers. Those men were so confused, they were all heretics. And yet, if you're going to be a minister in standing, you have got to buy the church fathers. The apostolic fathers are the ones right after the apostles. The post-Nicene fathers, the Nicene fathers, you've got to buy them and have them lined up on your shelves because you're a very studious man if you have all these ignorant heretics arguing with each other in volumes instead of working this book over. Yet most conservative Christians rank scripture by age when the Bible says that a falling away is going to happen first. Most conservative Christians adore men like Irenaeus or Origen. You know, we've shared a little bit about Origen. They miss Christmas, baptismal regeneration, sacraments, Lent, and other junk coming in this falling away. Number five, what is the temple of God? What is the temple of God? That Roman Catholic church monstrosity in Rome. There are only two Jewish temples in the Bible, Solomon's and Zerubbabel's. This, in verse 4, cannot be either, since the timeline of events is well beyond 70 AD. God calls local churches the temple of God a number of times in those three passages. The Bible does not admit or prophesy a third temple in Jerusalem at all. Let's go to church. There's St. Peter's Square from a different angle. The colonnades are all around it. it. has two legs with something in the middle and then the church in the back. And there it is again. You can see all the way down there to St. Peter's throne. Huge. There it is again from a different angle, the serpentine columns with the canopy over the high altar. And there it is again. 
Minor difference number six. Wise men are civilly prudent. When Paul wrote this, when Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians to the Thessalonians, he was very careful. He said, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. I'm not writing them right now. I'm alluding to them because you should remember that when I was with you, I told them to you. Wise men are civilly prudent. Paul is very obscure about the withholding and letting power here because what was it? The Roman Empire needs to be taken out of the way. What if you are caught with a written document in the Roman Empire that describes the Roman Empire being taken out of the way? It's death. It is the Roman Empire and its emperor. Wise men are prudent. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. When the wicked rise, a man is hidden. So Paul was hiding himself just like he should, just like we should. Think about the contentious clerk in Kentucky and the baker in Denver that haven't learned anything from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Accusations of another king had occurred against the church of the Thessalonians right here. At Thessalonica is where they were accused of preaching another king named Jesus. So they were all ready, and the city was in an uproar over it. It says that in the Bible. So if you were Paul, and you had some wisdom, unlike the Kentucky clerk, and unlike the baker in Denver, if you were writing the church at Thessalonica, you would not come right out and say, Hey guys, the Roman Empire is about to be ripped out of the way. It's going to degenerate into ten kingdoms of Europe, and then a little horn will arise. You're dead. So he didn't. He had told them about it. Wise men are not compromisers for disguising their faith in such times. Right. Number seven, truth consumed Antichrist. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. The Lord Jesus Christ sends forth his ministers by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of prophecy, and they declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they consume the kingdom of Antichrist. And so after the 1260 years of prevailing, the Roman Catholic Church has no authority today because the preaching of the gospel and scriptures in people's own languages have taken away their superstition and control of the people. Every mass was in Latin until the mid-1960s. No one knew Latin. No one knew what they were saying. No one cared. They just wanted the sound of the words, the music of the Latin chant. But then when the Bible... Let's see if we can find... Uh, I'm hurrying because Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7 that uh, Antichrist's dominion would be taken away and consumed until the end. So it's a gradual decline before final destruction. Here's what William Tyndale said. I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. Amen. How did he do that? He printed the Bible in English in the mid-1500s. Because if you can put the Bible into their hands... They're going to know that the Pope is the Antichrist. They're going to know that Jesus said, call no man father on earth in way of, rep in way of worship or religious reverence. The King James translators in 1611 wrote in your Bible, in their preface, in their dedicatory, the zeal of your majesty, this is King James I of England, King James VI of Scotland, the same man, the zeal of your majesty toward the house of God manifesting itself abroad in the farthest parts of Christendom by writing in defense of the truth, he wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation, 
and this is in the preface, which hath given such a blow unto that man of sin as will not be healed. At 18 years of age, King James wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. I have it. Minor difference number eight. Signs prove nothing. Moses taught that God allows miracles to test your love of Scripture. Are you going to follow a person doing a miracle or follow someone with the Bible? Moses taught that just one false miracle and you're a liar. The Roman Catholic Church claims to have weeping statues, a shroud, healings, cloud formations, etc., etc., and so forth. Minor difference number one, the lack of truth damns men. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Truth is the most liberating thing you can possibly encounter after regeneration. I'm sorry, brethren, but uh, it will be available shortly online. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. And that's what we have today. Minor difference number 10, the spirit works before faith. Through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. How did God save the Thessalonians from Rome's delusions and the falling away. God chose them, eternal phase. The Holy Spirit sanctified them by giving them a new holy nature, and they heard the truth from the apostles. You're going to quiz against people who don't believe that. You're going to quiz against those who hold that you have to believe the truth in order for the Spirit to then regenerate you. And once you've done that, then you're one of God's chosen because God chooses those who will believe on him because he looked down through time upon the children of men and decided to choose those that understood and sought after him. Just the opposite of Psalm 14 that we heard last Sunday. Right. Minor difference number 11, truth is a glorious gift. Amen. Truth is a glorious gift to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's glory in knowing the truth about Jesus Christ and how this world and universe works and what's about to happen to it. Traditions must be apostolic. We believe in traditions, but we want our traditions to be apostolic. The Roman Catholic Church has two things above the Bible. They have their tradition, and they have the magisterium. The magisterium is their word for their ministry, and their ministry means popes. Then cardinals a little tiny bit, and archbishops less than that. They will argue from the antiquity of a practice against any Bible evidence. They don't care what the Bible says. She's the mother of abominations, and others have followed with Christmas, Easter baptism, crosses, sacraments, steeples, and so on. We want to stand fast with the apostles, as verse 15 says, instead of falling away. Right. Both of those expressions are in this one chapter. Final consolation and hope. I conclude with these two. This is the concluding of 2 Thessalonians 2. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself. This tore me up this past week. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Him personally. No representative. Him. And God, even our Father, which hath loved us. God's loved us and done all the phases of salvation for us, and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. 
the Roman Empire is going to be overthrown. They considered themselves eternal. Eternal Rome. Overthrown. The man of sin is going to come. The son of perdition is going to come. But God has chosen us, loved us. He's our father. And Jesus Christ himself is on our side. And they've given us everlasting consolation and good hope. You should be consoled today and full of hope because Jesus Christ himself is on your side. Conversion produces results. The last verse of the chapter. Comfort your hearts. Remember, they were troubled. They were shaken in mind. Verse 2, remember? They were shaken in mind and troubled. Establish you in every good word and work. Who is going to do that? Jesus Christ himself and God, who hath, this has already been an accomplished thing, given us everlasting consolation and good hope. We have hope of heaven. Comfort your hearts. May God and Jesus Christ himself comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Everything you say, everything you do, let it be from God and Jesus Christ himself. The Thessalonians were troubled. Are you fearful? Take comfort. Jesus himself and God, your loving Father, comforted and established you. Take comfort. God has done, is doing, and shall do great things to you and for you. What happens in Washington, D.C. is irrelevant in every respect to anything important. What happens in D.C., whether it happened in Rome, whether it happened in Alexandria, whether it happened in Constantinople, the city built for Constantine, doesn't matter. It's no more a threat than fallen Rome was. These people were told about some earth-shaking events, and they were told to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Get to work, folks. Don't wander from house to house like chapter 3 condemns. Get a job. Work hard. Have a family. Love the Lord Jesus Christ and God your Father. Take comfort and confidence in God and Jesus for good words and works. This is what we're called to do. We don't fight City Hall. We don't fight Rome. We fight sin. Many have died martyr deaths. Will you live a mortified life for our King? Stand with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us from the beginning. Thank you for choosing us in Christ Jesus for eternal life and salvation from this great enemy that would be in a church. We thank you for revealing these things to us. Thank you for showing us the order. Thank you for showing us the details. Help our young people, our children, who have memorized the words to understand at least a little bit the sense of those words and the blessing and treasure and gift that we have to see the truth in them. Heavenly Father, what we have in this church that is displeasing to thee, that comes from the brothel of Rome, the mother of abominations, reveal it to us and we'll get it out of here. Help us to follow you perfectly and to stand fast in the apostolic tradition only. Go with these dear people. Bless us today to be filled with good words and good works that would be pleasing to thee and to thy son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.